it's that time once again. Lock up your fathers and wonder at your life choices because Australia's longest-running Doctor Who podcast, 42 to Doomsday, is back. I'm Rob. I'm Rob. And for $20, I can also be Rob. Hashtag OnlyFans. And once again, we travel to a parallel realm where Kazakhstan won the space race, Nickelback made decent music, and Australia's most popular comedian isn't Dave Hughes. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? So glue on your mutton chops, tease out that chest hair, let those polyester pants hug your crutch like your grandmother did on any Christmas day, more times than you care to think about in horror, wear tartan like a boss, and sit back and listen as we take a look at the John Pertwee era from a decidedly different point of view. Welcome to the alternate Pertwee years. <laughs> oh, very funny. Very funny. And welcome back, gangsters, to another episode of 40 Digital Doomsday. As uh, we introduced quite uniquely, I thought before, uh, Rob Lloyd is back. We're calling this the apology episode, aren't we, really, for your last appearance, which uh, we made you talk about something that we don't like to talk about anymore. Look, I'm terribly sorry, everyone. Um, it, it is a pleasure to be back, and I am humbled that I have been allowed back into the realm of the longest-running uh, Australian Doctor Who podcast uh, realm uh, to offer my sincerest apologies for uh, having taste and um, going against what I'm usually meant to do is to be that you know balancing point of an opinion within Doctor Who fandom but for that one particular episode you know when that whole lockdown thing happened and we actually record during a lockdown I actually agreed with these two old crabby bastards exactly. and became a crabby bastard myself As the usual olive oil you apply to our vinegar <laughs> <laughs> did not work I so. dropped in some salt hydrochloric acid I thought as well but, uh, yeah so welcome back Rob anyway so look and we thought to make it up to you we're going to look at the Pertwee era again because we got you looking at the Pertwee era years ago I think in 2014 I think but one of your most popular podcasts I believe it was it was at yeah. least one of them no, last year I think we started doing What If have you trademarked that I've nicked it from Marvel so I'm sure it'll be fine <laughs> and uh, episode 85 we did a massive uh, full episode dedicated uh, to different weather scenarios but we thought let's do one for the whole Pertwee era and see what we can come up with and of course our listeners have inundated us with lots of uh, theories and scenarios so we're going to go through them today So and to talk about the Pert from uh, from a different angle is great have but you trademarked that? I <laughs> Pert from a different angle hashtag yes. Pert angles. <laughs> <laughs> the hair is just as bouffanty as ever um, yeah it's really exciting to look at all the possibilities. That's a great thing about who, you, especially the classic era, you look back and what if this happened? What if that happened? What if this little thing had caused, because so many moments of chance have occurred. Um, it's yeah, very exciting to really delve in and there's some wonderful stuff from uh, your dedicated um, uh, fan base. So um, yeah. Well, last time you've been on, what's been going on? Been in lockdown um, and just focusing on the teaching. Uh, been very grateful for that. Uh, working on our school production, which we moved online. So we did a lot of online video conferencing rehearsals and we filmed both school productions. Um, they've been premiering. So by the time this comes out, we would have probably premiered both as our big movie premieres and they'll be available online. If you go to the Dandenong High School Vimeo account, you can watch both our school productions. But now the new year has started, I'm back into uh, performing. So I've got a full schedule for the year. I've got Comedy Festival coming up. We open in a week with 
um, the sequel to the Dracula show that I did with Mr. David Innes, which we did in two, uh, 2019. The sequel of it, which is Mina Harker, Monster Doctor. We brought Jen Spears back to play the vampire slaying uh, doctor hero uh, Mina Harker and we open on the 5th of April for a week seven days at the Butterfly Club our favourite venue in Melbourne uh, 8.30 for a week so check out the Butterfly Club website buy your tickets and come along tickets are selling fast a couple of shows are close to sell out so get in quick very good and also you are taking back who me to your hometown? Is that I correct? I am. I've um, I found out that uh, Dubbo, my hometown in country New South Wales, is doing their first ever Fringe Festival. So uh, while I was home in January, I sent uh, sent them an email and. I was accepted in, so I haven't performed in my hometown in 25 years, and I haven't done Who Me since I toured it to the UK in 2018. So once I get Comedy Festival out of the way, I'll be uh, <laughs> dusting off the old PowerPoint presentation and and going through all the slides and seeing if they're all working properly, rehearsing my script and see if there's anything I need to update or make reference to or um, change to the fact that apparently now uh, protagonists can be uh, immortal beings from a parallel dimension that founded an entire society um, or not so yes I'm going back and that'll be uh, tickets are on sale for that as well at the uh, Newcastle Fringe Festival website and there's a link there to the Dubbo site uh, who me and I'm on from the 9th of May and I'm doing three shows at uh, the Dubbo RSL Theatreette are you updating any of the, the jokes? Because I've got one if you want to use it. Uh, look, I, I'm, it? I'm ready to write it down. I'm always okay, up for a joke. Pen and paper, because everybody loves my jokes, don't you, Rob? Uh, sorry, jokes, Mark. <laughs> wow. I'm getting my paper ready. Okay, you ready? Okay, here's the joke. Um, what's the six doctors... Least favorite medical procedure. I don't know. What is the six doctor's least favorite medical procedure? A colonoscopy. Oh, my pen's just run out. Um, oh, I'll have to remember that one. Rob, can you remember that one as well? You can text that to me later. Just download the episode after it's gone out. <laughs> we'll have to take a poll on that, Mark, and see how it goes with our listeners. There we go. You love the polls. Oh, God. So many, so many Twitter polls. Mm. Uh, and if you'd like to get involved in the Innes Lloyd Twitter polls, we put them up every couple of days. Yes, I have been sort of voting on those, but only classic stuff. I don't, you know, I, I go against the modern stuff. All the time. <laughs> every time I see a poll, what's a bit better, Delta or the Bannerman, or you know, uh, anything, anything. Modern, and you go, or, okay, you're one of those. People. <laughs> I'm one of those. <laughs> so yes, that's what. Um, uh, that's the first half of the year. I've got other projects coming up, but you know, we've only got two hours, and if I talk about them, we'll be here for uh, until next week. Well, look, it's good that you're back on the stage. You're getting, you're strapping back on the, uh, oh, we do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what stage you're No, no, you please keep that in. <laughs> what is he strapping on, Mark? Hashtag OnlyFans. <laughs> I'm making my way through college, all right? <laughs> my parents know about it and they're okay with it. Yeah, Roxanne Lloyd is back. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, look, excellent. That's glad that you're treading back on the boards and uh, getting back to your first love. That's good. It is very, very good. Very exciting. It's um, Yeah, I, I was on stage for the first time about two Saturdays ago. I was invited to host um, uh, the Big Hoo-Ha, which is an impro group here in Melbourne. They perform every week at the, at the Butterfly Club and they needed a host for one of their weekly impro shows and I walked on stage and I was like... I was like overstimulated with the lights on and, and mm. a crowd and them actually laughing and responding. And I had to re like that, that whole sort of like, you know, uh, that memory, that's primal memory, kind of like the Silurians and how they send humans back into caveman form. I felt like I was just remembering this, this lineal cultural memory from 
way back how to perform. It was great fun and exciting. And I think I was like one of those kids at the start of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when Aubrey Woods is singing to them, The Candyman Can. I felt like one of those kids just going, It was great. As long as didn't like Verica Salt, it'd be fine. <laughs> what about you, uh, original Rob? How have you been? I have been uh, well. Uh, still like uh, most people working from home, but I think that's rapidly coming to an end. Sadly, it's 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 nice to be able to roll out of bed and just roll onto the desk and 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 whatever. I've uh, rapidly uh, been uh, approaching the end, the deadline to the book that I've been writing that I can't really talk about. But uh, so that'll be a nice weight off my shoulders. But other than that, uh, just doing the usual, Mark and Rob. How about you, Mark? Doing the usual? Are you rolling out of bed and writing with your shoulders? I'm just sort of rolling out of bed and rolling back on my desk. (laughs) We are going back to work one day a week for the moment. But uh, that's been quite interesting, getting back on the public transport with the great unwashed. uh, All wearing masks and going back to work. And uh, that's been quite quite novel until you realise you actually have to go back home and... uh, Get back on the train. Yeah, I think it's going to take a while for a lot of places to recover from this. Yeah, but, um, you know, it's uh, tentative steps out and look up to the sky blinking. So basically, we're all doing okay. We received a review on the Apple Podcasts. It wasn't overly great. And I must I'm sort of pick Rob Lloyd's uh, brain here and how he deals with mm. uh, negative reviews. Mm. So, um, Rob, we received this uh, review two months ago via Apple Podcasts. Mm, yeah. Can you please read that out for us? And just, Do you just, want original Rob or young Rob to do that? The actor Rob. Because <laughs> my, my Peter Ling impression I did last podcast, uh, I've been... <laughs> you did a Peter Ling impression? Two rave reviews. Yeah, big finish in our approach. Maybe the 23 CD set with Peter Ling. Ling-a-ling stories. <laughs> yes, yeah, different accents depending on my mood. But um, the yes. mine robber, the the high school years. Just sort of read this review and don't look, don't sweeten it up. Just tell it how it is. All right, okay. This Apple review from Noob is two stars, and with only three words. Can't stand Haydock. There's a bit of a problem here. Toby has never appeared on our podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and. We, we haven't asked him to appear on our podcast, uh, so I don't know how they've gotten confused. But how would you deal, as, a, as an actor and improvisation of, <laughs> how would you deal with that sort of you know negative criticism? Because we can't work it out. We don't know if it was meant for us <laughs> or it was meant in a bad mood or maybe it was another podcaster trying to, um, you know... Well, this, this review is kind of letting the side down because, like, when I've, I was always hesitant to do a Doctor Who show because I, I, I incorporated Doctor Who and all my nerddom into my shows for, for gosh, yes. 10 years of professional performing. But when I came to doing uh, Who Me for the first time, I used as a reference point, I went to see Inside the TARDIS at uh, the Palais. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh God, yeah. Yes, oh, hosted geez. by Tim Ferguson yeah. with Katie, Colin, and Sil. Yeah. Uh, and our, our three stars did a valiant job. But I remember clearly... T- uh, Tim Ferguson, wonderful performer, lovely man, um, got up to do some stand-up at the start to warm up the crowd, and all his Doctor Who jokes weren't actually accurate. And no. so I was in the audience, and all the crowd were whispering under their breath that actually this is actually that. So I made that point, and I decided to myself, if I ever do a Doctor Who show, I have to 
research vigorously every single joke I do so that no fan can ever heckle me. And I have never received in 10 years of doing the show, it's the 10th anniversary of Who Me this year, probably should have mentioned that at the top, um, never uh, received any negative feedback for any of my jokes or any criticisms or reviews like this. Mm. So I always hold Doctor Who fans in the highest regard when it comes to fact-checking. So Noob (laughs) has just let the side down. So... I wouldn't take this as any type of negativity. I'd actually be, you know, criticizing him back. You should give a review of the review, give it like no stars, not accurate to uh, 42 to Doomsday. Well, the great thing about me is I don't hold a grudge. <laughs> so, noob, I actually work in IT, buddy, and I'm tracing your IP address as we speak. <laughs> so, you will be found and probably silenced. The same SWAT team that Rob and I will be uh, sending off to Wigan at some point will be being diverted to wherever noob uh, lives. So, hold on to your hats, noob. We're coming for you. Are you, are you okay with that approach, Rob? Are you okay with the, anything more to say to um, Nob? I'm at noob. Uh, look, I, I am pleased with the vengeful tact that we're going to be taking uh, at some point Uh, (laughs) men wearing uh black uniforms and and carrying sniper rifles and administering death from uh orbit uh is something that i uh, admire and applaud so yes bring it just bring it love it and the great thing is it's a tax deduction as well so it's all good all good news (laughs) having watched aliens recently nuking things from orbit is something that i applaud Let's try and do something a bit more positive, and we're going to now uh, do a whole episode of what if scenarios for the the great man, the great John Pertwee, which is you know we all love and respect here, don't we? Especially Rob Wood. So <laughs> we've uh, got a whole lot of stuff to go through. So let's crack on and uh, go for these different scenarios. We've sequenced them in uh, in what the era should potentially be in terms of the first series all the way to the last. And we've got a whole lot of listener feedback here. And also we've got some of our things, scenarios we want to pepper through this um, discussion. So the first one is from Michael Scott and Mark Cockrum, uh, who actually says, what if Troughton had stayed for season seven and not the great man had started his uh, his journey? Mm. For me, there, there, there are like rumours and talks and, and you know, stories, I think even Frazier's passed on as well, that you know, um, it was more of a outside influences convincing uh, Troughton to move on because he would have been quite happy to stay at least for another year or two. But the three of them got on so well, it would have, I, you know, would have been great to have another season because season six isn't what we call, you know, there's a couple of standout episodes, but, you know, from what we hear backstage with the struggles with scripts and thank heavens the space prison never came up and all this rewrites like, you know, Hulk and... Dick's having to write a ten-part final story in you know over a week, a weekend or something like that. Um, it's it would have been you know if they had that one last chance, one more season to sort of like you know get things right and have Jamie, Zoe, and um, the Doctor you know stranded on Earth for a year with the unit team and what you got in the invasion having that with that same Derek Sherwood season seven feel could have been, I think, you know, Troughton was such a diverse actor and such an incredibly fresh actor on, and was it's so modern his performance, even in the sixties. And he, he's just so immediate even now that he could easily transition from one genre to the next. He stayed in that very B grade monster movie, sci-fi era for his three years, but he could easily have transitioned into the more quite a mass dark, you know, seventies, 
um, X Files style of season seven. Original Rob, I tend to agree. It would be it would have been interesting seeing. Uh, I mean, the Troughton performance is sort of tagged as an anti-establishment performance, isn't it? So, and and even though Pertwee himself is is very much the patrician establishment figure. He does go to town on certain government types and, and civil servants during during that you know that opening year. I, I think Troughton would have you know doubled up or doubled down on that. Um, it, it look, I think it would have been really interesting, um, especially having them exiled to Earth. I mean, Zoe, you know, a, a woman of the future, stuck in sort of a backwater, tr- trying to come to terms with that. Uh, but though you would have probably seen, you know, something like, uh, you know, how she was with Isabel uh, in the invasion, sort of really enjoying the era in a sense. Yeah, I can see uh, Jamie becoming the sort of Adam Adam Adamant figure, <laughs> uh, a man out of time in the modern day. That's great. Uh, so there's that, and then of course he would have been, you know all over the girls like you wouldn't believe uh, you know, who doesn't like a strapping Scottish Highlander yeah, yeah? It's not so much a pants but, man uh, more of a skirt I, man I like Rob's thoughts about the Quatermass feel of, of, of series 7 or season 7 with Troughton mm. um, I think that would have played more onto the I mean there's a lot of talk how the darker McCoy performance the sort of you know the, the Time Lord of Mystery sort of matches with some of what Troughton brings to his performance and I think the whole Quatermass thing of paranoia and betrayal and, you know, aliens influencing uh, the development of human life on, on planet Earth. I think Troughton would have brought a real, a sort of darker edge to it. And uh, it would have been great to see him in colour as well. I think for a career point of view, though, it's actually probably the right time for him to go at the end of season six. So uh, as a reboot, probably not the best thing for the program having Troughton stay on um, because obviously season seven, you've got the, the debut of a new Doctor, Yes, the unit setup is is carried over from the invasion, but the whole tone of it, I think, season seven, I, I just can't picture Troughton doing it. Okay. For looking at some of the story, I don't think I can see him doing Inferno. Solurians, I can see him in Ambassadors of Death, not so much. So it'd be interesting to see if Troughton had stayed, what that structure of that season would have been. And then this sort of goes into the next question by um, David Andrew Patterson, who said that, um, what if uh, Fraser Hines had not chosen to leave, which was sort of covered, um, but what if the... Um, the third Yeti story was the uh, the debut of the uh, of the John Pertwee Doctor. Well, there's that famous publicity shot when he was yes. first announced when he was in the just in his um, you know pinstripe suit and mm. he had the the Yeti there and he put on the Yeti gloves. Um, so there was definitely there could have been that potential of bringing in another Yeti one. But they've, in my opinion, the only way they could have done another Yeti story is so the first one was in the past, the second mm. one was in the present, the next one had to be in the future. So it's finding some way. With it, whether it was in season seven or in a later one, where whether it was thrown ahead by the Time Lords or one of his time experiments slipped him into the future and dealt with the Yetis from a futuristic point of view. That's how the only way I could have seen the Yeti within that classic era be brought in for a third appearance. If you'd had the Great Intelligence, for instance, returning in season seven, for me that aligns a lot with the sort of uh, the storytelling that you get in that particular era, you know, there are sinister forces in the background uh, manipulating events or influencing events. So you could easily have the great intelligence, you know, uh, influencing sort of establishment figures uh, to, you know, perform certain tasks to enable its, its you know, its full materialization on our particular plane of existence. Uh, which would mesh, I think, with you know, with certain of the stories that you see in season seven. Uh, of course, you could do it a little bit later, uh, and that would f- you know fit with what Rob has perceptively said about you know the past, present, and then future. Um, 
I, th- I think it would work in, in, in Pertwee's era, probably you know in season seven or season eight more, more than anything else. I think given the unhappy experience the uh, Hazeman and Lincoln combination <laughs> had writing the Dominators uh, under Derek uh, Sherwin's script out of the ship, it'd be interesting to see what would have happened mm. if t- Uncle Terry had a crack at that uh, third Yeti script from an editor point of view and how he would have shaped that up because... Um, and also the working relationship as well, hopefully would have uh, been salvaged. But I think after the Dominators, that was uh, not on the cards, was it really? Yeah, because Terry stayed for so long, yeah, Uncle Terry was there for the whole five years, he oh. definitely brought a consistency and a stability to the to to the writing uh, panel, because especially the 60s era is fraught with so many changes for producers and writers and script editors and all that type of stuff. And Sherwin's era of uh, season six is fraught with, like I just said, fraught with so many uh, script problems and really steadied the ship. Mm. So if anyone could have, he was able to, (laughs) you know, tame the savage beast of Robert (laughs) Holmes and Robert Holmes tamed the savage beast of him. So if anyone could have, could have, uh, you know, he would have just taken them out for a shitload of drinks. Oh, while I was doing some research just to remind myself of, you know, some of the people that were mentioned in these uh, in these proposals, uh, Derek Sherwin could be argued as having the most consequential short tenor, tenure of any producer in the series. I mean, you know, he's effectively only producer for the very last bit of Trout and then the very beginning of uh, of, of uh, the Pertwee era, really, isn't he? I mean, War Games and Spearhead is is really are really his babies but i mean you know he's he, he writes the invasion and he's the creator of unit effectively he is the script editor for the weather from the web affair up until you know the mine robber he hires pertwee he again he brings in unit he sets up the whole exile thing really um and that had a major you know that was the one of the major reasons for the show's success the grounding of the doctor in, in modern day then modern day earth uh sherwin I don't know that he tends to be forgotten, but I think he needs more praise than what he gets. He's definitely lowered down on the the list of influential people who are mentioned quite regularly. Everyone mentions uh, from the classic era, Holmes and Hinchcliffe um, and Barry Letts, especially mostly because, you know, Hinchcliffe is still around so he can do the lap of honour one more time. Whereas, you know, um, Sherwood... Got a, he's got a little bit like his commentaries on some of the Lost in Times and for some of the DVD interviews are really quite insightful and it's a shame that he um, passed away without more of recognition of what his actual uh, stamp on the show was because you're right Rob he was part of some massive decision making in a really you know because who could have ended at the end of the war games uh, even at the end of series yes. seven, and it would have just been remembered as you know something like the Avengers or at you know Adam um, Adamant. Um, just go, oh, you remember that little show? That was quite cute. Daleks, what are Daleks? Yeah, exactly. Oh, remember that cute little thing that happened in the sixties? Oh, that's so cute. But yeah, he really always sing his praises and believes he should get more uh, time discussed than yeah, you know, especially within like all the fans within podcast world talk about him quite quite often I assume uh, whereas yeah mainstream kind of skim over him and focus on the big names which is a bit of a shame right, and this now segues into the next question by Gordon Dumofsky and Andy Taylor uh, what if Derek Sherwin had stayed past Spearhead from Space I don't think Uncle Terrence would have stayed I think their working relationship was uh, a little bit tense right so I don't think uh, he would have stayed the uh, the full five years that uh, he eventually did mm. 
whether Sherwin would have saw reason or had or said, look, we'll keep it stranded on, on Earth for a couple of years and do quite a mass all the way is probably a different matter. But I mean, I think I think they would have had to have done at least one off world story at some mm-hmm. point, very similar to what they did with Colony in Space. I obviously would have had to recast Caroline John at some point as well. So obviously seeing a different type of companion. But it would have been, yeah, it would have been a similar style of companion mm. that's what I liked about Derek Sherwood of going Barry just came in and went nope nope we're going completely back to where we were so within a year Barry just went she's too smart she's too clever let's yeah reset uh, reset yeah. Um, and so I, and then even with season 7 there was quite a lot of struggles with the script you know there's so many script problems with Ambassadors of Death Barry having to jump in um, with with Inferno to take over because Dougie Canfield got ill. They had to add more on. That's where the, you know, the um, parallel dimension stuff, which is which makes the story so great. That was a late addition. Mm. So it seems that Derek Sherwood whether you know, has been handed this hand of fate within his time to be dealing with all this tumultuous stuff, whether it's because of him or because he's just the, you know, the, the right guy at the wrong place at the right time. So I could see that, that, not going away whereas Terry and Barry brought in consistency and steadied the ship I think mm. Derek would have only made it at least another year or two before I agree yeah, yeah. but Barry Letts and Terrence Sticks also brought in a, sl- a, a softer approach I mean you get that sort of the whole idea of the unit family really only comes to life uh, when they fully take over the series I think if Sherwin mm. had stayed on it, the, the, the sort of I mean look admittedly it is a time viewing but the, the sort of harder edge slightly harder edge that you get from you know sherwin's first year you know unit is a, is a seems more like a proper military un, uh, unit than uh, than what you sort of get later that particular era there's there's more conspiracy minded stories i mean there's stuff like the parallax view watergate is hoving into view in, in a year or two's time there's a certain uh you know poisoning of the uh, the 60s era the trust of the establishment yeah mm-hmm. exactly and I, I think that sherwin was sort of tapping into that you know especially with what you see in in, in series seven um you've got establishment figures in the background sort of turning on uh, turning on, on on the state and, uh, and and using their efforts to sort of undermine you know what we you know what is uh, what is acceptable. There's definitely a prickly a relationship between the doctor and the brigadier in that season seven before they become all chummy, chummy, yeah. and yeah. And the great thing about Spearhead from Space is he he enters and we go oh someone we trust someone we know from previous stories. He, okay, all right, this is a good start for us, and he believes all the alien stuff, and then we get to the three doctors. <laughs> He's going, oh, we're a Kramer. That's where we are. It's the beach. Let's go for a swim. Benton, put your trunks on. Yeah. So maintaining that prickly relationship. I mean, I look into season seven a bit deeper than a lot of other people do. And I see the a kind of a healing of relationship between the Doctor and the Brigadier in the Ambassadors of Death. Because instead of the death to the um, to the Silurians, like it happens at the end of Silurians, the Doctor and the Brigadier work together to save these ambassadors and take them back to their home. And so that by the end of Inferno, you actually have that warm moment when the the Doctor, covered in rubbish, puts his arm around the Brigadier and goes, come on, old chap, I didn't mean that, and they have Liz laughing. So you would have still had that prickly relationship, but you could see the warmth coming through that steely, grittier feel. I like both approaches, but I have a, a a fondness for a harder edged, you know, as you say, pricklier approach because it's 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 
it's more interesting to watch and i think for the actors themselves uh that gives them a a, a slightly wider range within within which to work definitely and in in many ways pertwee's doctor hadn't become grumpy pert and that comes out in season two and season three especially like with oh, with, with cause of axos oh, shocking. Yeah. where he's just so angry mm. and i try and justify it by going well it's you know he's angry and frustrated because he's trapped and he's frustrated by the system that he's within but season seven there's a bit more of that um subtlety whimsy and subtlety and a bit of the charisma is there as opposed Mm. to just going grumpy old man being an ass so yeah Yeah. i could see that sticking around and having that he's been quite um whimsical about the the situation that he's in and having more of that uh, companion who is an equal. I mean, I still, it's so much of the time that there's the doctor and Dr. Liz Shaw, but no one calls her doctor. They all just call her Miss Shaw. I'm going, she's a doctor. So it's very much of the time, but yeah, that, that lifted the stakes so much having two people as our leads, a doctor and a, and, and a companion who could discuss things on the same level and add in, you know, help each other out. So that would have been great to see at least for another year or two. So, oh, and of course, I know that uh, Nicholas Courtney hated them, but we would have got another two seasons of the uh, the original unit oh, yes. body-hugging outfits. Yes, the ones that uh, Rob talked about in the intro. <laughs> yeah. Polyester around the crotch is great stuff. <laughs> it makes a man of you, doesn't it, Rob? <laughs> I remember being a lad and going off to school in a pair of polyester brown tartan pants oh, and my god oh, they, they hugged like a boss babe I can tell you <laughs> <laughs> pre-puberty yeah my vivid imagination is getting a workout yeah now, look Rob. calm down calm down <laughs> come up with this scenario guys that I want to sort of throw uh, not literally at you but sort of run past you is that uh, I've called it Barry Let's Change the Structure of Season 7 Ooh. so Barry Letts is of course appointed as producer he actually has some time to influence the structure of that season he removes an episode from the Silurians and Inferno and reworks Ambassadors of Death episode countdown from 7 to 5 episodes leaving 4 episodes spare oh. and of course as Barry still doesn't approve of the character of this show uh, she'll leave at the end of the season in a four part story called The Vampire from Space written by newcomers Bob Baker and Dave Martin because hey. I was looking at uh, the claws of Axos and really the master you don't really need him in there do you no really you I mean he's pre- more essential than other stories in season 8 definitely correct so uh, that's my alternate uh, universe theory there where Barry has a bit of time to sort of jig things around a bit when they get a clean exit for Liz Shaw I think from a Silurians and Inferno and Ambassadors of Death as much as they are great I think they could definitely have an episode lopped off or Ambassadors of Death case between <laughs> episodes I think uh, you know to have a couple of episodes spare though. and then that would probably make a bit more sense in terms of having that transition then from season 7 gritty to yeah. the more family friendly um, season 8 approach so, and there um, is that elements of Axos or you know Vampires from Space that would could have worked because it was so much psychedelica that mm. so frustrates me but if you brought it into season 7 which had that cool uh, clinical approach and you know because Katie's kind of just there yeah. Joe's just there in Axos but Liz would have because the scientists are dealing with all the the nuclear weaponry and all that type of stuff so Liz would have been right in there dealing with all that type of stuff and definitely to give her the send-off that she deserves exactly would have been um wonderful tribute and it wouldn't it wouldn't be anything it, I think it'd be quite a uh, a refined and held back and quite uh 
emotional but not Dig- and dignified. Dignified, dignified. Because Just seeing Liz walk she, on to Well, she would have got a job at the power station because it's in disarray. They'll turn around and say, We need somebody who's a doctor who can help us. Oh, you're available. And we'll, we'll, we'll pay you more than the unit. She becomes the uh, head honcho of the Newton Power Station. And then she ends up on the moon, apparently, like they yes. talk about. Them. But yeah, it's that type of thing, how episodes would work with other companions. Like, I always thought one of the missed opportunities is Paradise Towers. Paradise Towers is such an incredible idea, and it's just a shame that <laughs> the production values fell through and nobody told Richard Bryce. Could you not do that? Well, isn't, um, isn't a director supposed to do that? I don't know. <laughs> it's a relatively yeah, new exactly. concept. Uh, but uh, imagine yeah. Paradise Towers done well, and mm. it was seven. What, what if? What if? Oh no, we're doing season. We're doing <laughs> jump <laughs> everywhere. But what if it was in season season twenty five, twenty six with uh, Ace and the Seventh yeah. Doctor? Yeah, yeah, and Ace amongst the Kangs. Jeez, that would have been great. So yeah, with baseball, bat Liz. Bat. Yeah. yeah, Liz within. Um, Claws of Axos would have made that a lot interesting and that clinical approach to Seven would have taken out a lot of the, the psychedelic excess of mm. Axos and have the Doctor as opposed to Grumpy Pants having yeah. a go at Chin. Well, justified, but still he's... Oh, yeah, well, he's Chin definitely. was a dick. Yeah. yeah, he was actually. Who do you, who's more of a dick? Is it Chin or Grover? What do you think, Rob? Do you think Grover or Chin is more of the asshole? I go with Chin. Right. I agree. Yeah, Chin is the typical sort of in my view and don't take this the wrong way Rob public servant so. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about mate. oh yes they're coming, they're coming yes yes we'll just yeah we'll just move on quietly from that so uh, do you like that scenario Rob look I love the extended episode count uh, present in season 7 I think that gives the, the, the viewer a chance to marinate in those scenarios for an extended period of time but I can see the benefit of coming up with a, a four-part story to you know to bookend the, the series and as you say give Liz Shaw the, the proper send-off that I think she really does deserve because I honestly think that she of Pertwee's companions three companions in that particular era uh, she's head and shoulders above certainly Joe Grant uh, and even Liz Sladen uh, who really uh, isn't really the Sarah Jane that we know until Tom Baker rolls around yeah so I mean whichever story that you go with for the four-parter uh, I think it's reasonable to say that you could hive off episodes here and there and then and pack them all together and using those budgets to come up with you know a nice four-part story that still works within the themes of, of that particular season. We've got three entries here from the uh, guys from the Dooley Dumb podcast, Doc, Hume, Hayden and Mark. They've sent these in, so we'll just quickly rapid-fire these. So the first one, this probably uh, floats your boat a bit more, Original Rob. Uh, what if Malcolm Hulk had been a member of the British Union of Fascists? <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> You take every 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 particular view that he had, you know, pro-environmental, uh, sort of anti-authority, you know, authority, uh, you know, even pro, you know, humanist or you know, pro-people, and just flip it on its head. <laughs> so we're going to be pro-colonial. So the colony in space uh, is really more about the uh, the deserved exploitation of of those damn natives. The mutants would have had a very different ending. <laughs> we have completely suppressed the natives. Well done, and Earth is reborn on uh, solace. And the invasion of the dinosaurs isn't really a plot by uh, uh, dirty establishment figures to, uh, to you know to overthrow the natural order of things. It's goddamn lefties with time travel technology trying to uh, you know revert a modern civilization and good old conservative values. Uh, you know, two hundred and fifty million years before. It'd be five seasons of the alternate Earth in Inferno, really. Exactly. 
We'd have the brigade leader and the eye patch. <laughs> well, everyone, everyone, everyone would be wearing, wearing an eye patch. Eye patches, <laughs> and he didn't crack up. Down with the hippies, up with colonialism. Yeah, I think invasion of the dinosaurs would have travelled back to uh, bring up, uh, to resurrect Oswald Mosley. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you can see, I mean, if, if he actually been a member of the, the Union of Fascists, he probably would have been interned, interned in the 40s, completely embittered by the experience. And assuming he would have been allowed to have a job with the BBC, um, you, you could have seen someone like that injecting some of their particular vile uh, opinions in, in, into Doctor Who. I mean, it there would have been a more pro, pro-authoritarian streak, you know, coming to the fore. The extermination of the Silurians would have been fully justified. Yeah, he would be angry that they didn't go far enough. <laughs> but it's the classic thing, I mean, whether intentionally or not, you know, uh, they took the influences of Quatermass, but they kept that, that whole Nigel Keel um, xenophobia thing, mm. where, you know, yeah. anything alien is evil. So that moment in the Silurians, that powerful moment when he first... Inc- is face to face with a Silurian and the third doctor puts out his hand and says, how do you do? That, <laughs> he, would have, he would have pulled out every weapon he had and you fired and then asked questions later. Exactly. Frontier in space wouldn't have happened. It would be been called Fuhrer in space. <laughs> yeah, it would have been Nazis in space, basically. You know, that, that famous publicity photo of um, Carol and John and John Pertwee in, the, in their full outfit, and he's carrying the machine gun. Yeah. He's carrying the machine gun. And we go, we go um, why is the doctor carrying a machine gun? That would be the... That the, would be it. it. The doctor's back, and he's packing. <laughs> and now, speaking of packing, the uh, second uh, scenario that the guys put forward to us, what if they always had the Humobile instead of Bessie? <laughs> More CSO. So oh, this is just too hard. We'll just keep flying away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole point of season seven is to <laughs> cut down on budget. So I, I just see that the Hoomobile would have just been a cardboard box. <laughs> like when you know, when you're, you're a kid and you used to you know have only a cardboard box and they've got like string on on your on your shoulders and you'd write on it car and you go there you go that's your car that would have been Hoomobile. Yeah, that that's how I tried to recreate Aaron on the Commodore sixty four just sitting in a cardboard box and shaking it, pretending <laughs> it was a hydraulic system. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, can you imagine the the Hoomobile driving around in Pertwee era? Um, now the great man would have definitely got the merchandising sorted out much earlier. Oh, yeah. It would have been dinky playsets of the great man and, and the Hoomobile and uh, season eleven. Barry, you know Barry, that's because we're going to get Bessie in now because um, you know the BBC worried about the money you make. Can I say something heretical? I've I've never liked the Hoomobile. Never. <gasps> oh. I don't know. It just doesn't fit the era. I mean, if he's an Edwardian gentleman, sort of in exile in. Uh, in 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 what in the modern day, then having something super sleek and super chromy, super chroma indeed, <laughs> is not something that I can abide. And I mean the way, I mean you know how they animate it, sort of they get it flying with CSO. It just looks terrible. I I, I don't like it. It does work a lot better in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Yeah. it's just I love it. I think that's where it's at its best when it's just driving around the streets of London, desolated London, um, where he's taking these readings. It looks spectacular in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. When you get to episode two of Planet of the Spiders, where you're going, well, we've got every known vehicle known to man and we'll fit it in in 22 minutes. And the, yeah, the green screen is just really appalling. While the Hermobile hasn't appeared on Top Gear, I have no uh, idea. However, <laughs> the third question still relates to the, uh, 
the whole CSO slash chroma key. What would have happened to the show's special effects if Barry Letts had never heard of CSO? <laughs> um, we would never have heard of fringing, that's for sure. Yeah, and the restoration guys would, would have had their jobs much more easy than what, especially in the season eight box. Well, that's so. the thing, yeah. The, like, the biggest amount of the CSO stuff that you see is in Terror of the Autons, mm. where it, it just goes, let's just use it for everything, and you just go, oh, let's not. <laughs> I've seen the comparison videos on YouTube of season eight the original and the the new stuff and it's great so good um but yeah it'll be more of that grounded approach to it it's i love how barry barry threw himself in with such vim and vigor without fully understanding it yeah i guess it was an easier way for him to do it it cut a lot of corners and it shows i mean he was certainly willing to be inventive i mean you you see an enemy of the world the back Mm. project the the reprojection uh in one particular episode which, you know, I, I don't think you would have seen in, 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 in the black and white era that much, if at all. No. Uh, and look, I mean, it does allow you to go for interesting visuals, I suppose, CSO. Look, we all know it doesn't always work. I think, you know, with no CSO, they would have tended to probably go more with, you know, more miniatures. I mean, the miniatures you see are the Drashigs in uh, Carnival of Monsters where they're erupting from, you know, from the the, the ground. That, that looks, that's still quite effective. The dressings are really incredible and I will yeah. not have a word set against that, that, that first shot of it coming up and the water and, spraying out of its yeah, mouth. Yeah, and Pertwee's reaction to it yes. just looks up yeah. as opposed to having a gurning and whatever, a silly yeah. face. This looks so stoic looking yes. at this drashing going towards him. I know it's not real, but still it's pretty <laughs> good. It's pretty good, right? How do actors do that? <laughs> what do you mean it's not real? Isn't Doctor Who a documentary? Surely it's real. It's like me saying to Rob here, uh, the Muppets aren't real. Yeah, well, as, as, a, the, as the punches lay into me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I always look upon Barry Letts and his passion that he threw into uh, the CSO stuff. Like a lot of these modern filmmakers, when they've thrown themselves into that technology mm. that never really could. Like when James Cameron went, we're going to go, we're going to make 3D big again with Avatar. And it was huge. And now they're making four sequels that nobody wants. Except but, James Cameron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And so again, it was just that fad thing. And then, you know, with um, the Hobbit movies, Peter Jackson said, we'll shoot it on this these new experimental cameras and it's more frames per second mm. type thing. Mm. And it's going to revolutionize cinema. And it gave everyone headaches and everyone just went back to the way it was before. So it's that case of he was throwing himself into something going, this is the future. Um, But he used it for everything. And and he was being bold and taking risks, but to the detriment of it actually looking any good. And the lessons that Barry learned, and obviously other directors learned, it made possible that Underworld could be completely filmed... (laughs) I see. So, so really, Barry has a lot to answer for, to be perfectly honest. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Barry. (laughs) The show's always push boundaries, you know, whether it be Quantal or or whatever. So, um, yes, I think less is more definitely in in that first sort of series. But, you know, it made made certain scenarios and certain uh, scenes sort of spring to life with uh, fringing. So, you know. Mark, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do it. Very true, Rob. Mm. That's very, Ponder very that. true. Now, speaking of that, actually, we've got Michael Donahue who says, uh, what if Hartnell was fully involved in the three Doctors? Oh, that would have been lovely. Oh, my it? gosh, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Because yeah. they had the original script, didn't they? Yes, he was in the original script. And um, they thought, look, he might have some issues and everything like that. So basically, they sort of kept him on the monitor till part four. Condition was, was too bad, yeah. Just too bad. So yes, there was, there was a script. They did it. And then similar to what Terence Dixon encountered when he finished The Five, five doctors, doctors, it basically, he did it 10 years earlier to uh, Bob Baker and Dave Martin. But that would have been lovely, really. Is it, there any yeah. copy of that script? Is I don't know, anywhere? actually. I wonder if it's... Has Philip Morris got all them as well? <laughs> How do we think that John Pertwee would have coped with William Hartnell 
on set in his full pomp. Uh, I reckon Pertwee would have had a stroke. The idea that he would have had to have shared screen time with the original actor to play the role, I, I don't know that he would have coped really well, to be honest. I think he would have done better with Hartnell than he would have, well, than he did with uh, Trout initially. Because yeah. Hartnell could have done it. That means his condition wouldn't have been as far along. Mm-hmm. So therefore, he would have been better with his lines. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was still as bad with his lines as he was at the end, poor old John would have had to deal with one. One guy improvising, the other guy just bubbling lines together. So yeah, he would have had an explosion. But if it was William Hartnell with some sort of semblance of when he was at his peak, like um, when you see him in gunfighters, he's firing off cylinders. Then that would have been something that Pertie would have respected Absolutely. because he respected yeah. people who were on their marks, on their yeah. lines, did everything. Because he's old classic, you know, yeah. uh, music hall. And you learn your lines, you learn your routine, you copy that all the time. So he would have mm. appreciated that precision. With the, the structure of th- the Three Doctors itself, if Hartnell was up and about, uh, you would have had to have uh, restructured it considerably because, and I, I may maybe even go for six episodes, because if you've got Hartnell firing on all cylinders, you need to really give him a plot strand to justify having him there. And I don't think four episodes, I mean, I know six episodes in the Pertwee era sometimes stretches uh, the friendship a bit, but I think with an anniversary episode and you've got Hartnell, you'd have to stretch it to five or six episodes, surely. Easily get to six. And he, yeah, because you've got them together in the first episode right near the end and then they go off in other directions. So, you know, Troughton stays at unit and um, mm. John goes off with Katie to the black hole. Maybe Hartnell goes to Gallifrey. Yeah, subplot. Actually have him with the... The so, Time Lords. The Time Lords. Oh, yeah. And you can kind of see that because they introduce that scene with these Time Lords that talk like they've known each other, been a part of the show for all this time, <laughs> where they go, hang on, who the hell are you guys? They have this, We're from the War Games, remember us? <laughs> no, 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 no. So you've got those two actors acting this scene like we're meant to know who they are. And that seems very much, maybe that's that maybe from that original draft of, you know, Hartnell would have been there and he would have been dealing with the the political ramifications of that. And that's a, that's actually a really good thread that could be followed, well brought up. If the original script does exist, I mean, Big Finish could do something with it, potentially. They will easily. Um, they've got recasts ready to go. Or they could have inserted David Bradley in, into the Blu-ray, <laughs> uh, which would have uh, upset me anyway. But so, yeah. A special sh- shout-out to the Three Doctors novelisation. I bought a, a copy with that iconic, you know, three-headed cover uh, back in the early 80s whilst uh, holidaying in Adelaide. And I remember reading it uh, while dodging serial killers and it was a formative experience for me I, that cover is magnificent and the story itself uh, is pretty good as well the novelisation certainly what do you mean serial killers yeah Adelaide's the home of you know, of course yeah. yes Snowtown Snow yes. Yeah. Yeah, was that the family hole out of Snowtown again was it Rob <laughs> I remember my father had a book about the Truro murders uh, which is unusual A I didn't know my father was interested in crime and B I didn't know my father actually read <laughs> hi dad if you're not listening so, serial killers. So, Adelaide Fringe Festival is really a celebration of serial killers. Well, yeah, be careful when you're at Adelaide Fringe. If you say, how'd you go tonight? I killed it. <laughs> oh, I killed many. I killed many. Did you make them laugh? No. no I died on stage. <laughs> they died laughing. Unfortunately, speaking of death, uh, Stephen B from the New To Who podcast puts this to us. What if Roger Delgado uh, didn't pass so tragically when he did? Oh, well, we know what would have happened. The original mm. script is, the concept is out there. And a lot of people said, you know, oh, they've, they've made it go, you know, it's good that the last story is just about Pertwee as opposed to being about him and Delgado. And I'm there going balls to that. It should have been 
the final end for the both of them and they have them together I don't mm. care what egos were involved or whatever and stuff mm. like that but yeah it's a tragedy of what happened to Roger and it's a and it shows it shows like in Rise of Skywalker the absence of Carrie Fisher is so present palpable Palpatine it is Palpatine apparently that's the whole point screw you JJ Abrams you started with so much hope anyway uh, so yes it's, it's palpable how much that final episode is missing Delgado and no matter how much they've thrown in all of Pertwee's old mates to keep him happy and they've thrown in Cyril Shaps because of course they have um, yeah it is sadly missing um, Delgado. Delgado yeah I think Delgado would have sort of nursed Pertwee through that final yeah. story as well it's very similar to what you know um, David Tennant asked for John Sin to come back when doing the uh, other end of season abomination um <laughs> As I call it, the episode called Voldemort. (laughs) But uh, obviously, you know, the the people who are leaving, it's very traumatic and they want to get somebody who they can, um, I suppose, just help them through it. So Mm. it would have been lovely to see uh, uh, Roger Delgado back and then the master would have died, but would they have brought him back eventually as another actor? Who knows, you know? Yeah. Um, I have two words, Reichenbach Falls, baby, which is really three. So, I mean, you see in the original pitch for for the master uh, appearing, it is a Holmes-Moriarty sort of relationship. And when you sort of have its culmination in a Reichenbach Fall sort of situation, uh, as you were saying, I mean, that, that, would be, that would be brilliant. It would be fantastic. Um, you know, I like the Planet of the Spiders. There are, you know, more, bits of it are better than other bits. But it is missing, it is missing you know, Delgado's really fine touch. Um, and it's a real, it's an abs- I mean, I remember reading about how he died in the Key to Time book by Peter Haining back in the mid eighties. And I was just, I was nonplussed. I was perplexed. I was like, this is, this is, this is terrible the way he died. And, you know, f- so far from home and family. And, uh, it, it, the passing of Delgado was a real tragedy, not only for him and his family, but actually for the show itself. I think the missed opportunities. Very much so. Very much so that, you know, so much so that they didn't bring him back for so long. And when they did, they couldn't just did not want to do it anything other than, you know, that whole corroded evil version of it from uh, The Deadly Assassin, just because the refined impression and the indelible mark that Delgado left. I know Hinchcliffe has said, you know, things about him and Holmes when, oh, they didn't really like the master and they wanted to make him more like a, a monster as opposed to that refined evil. Um, but, yeah, the... It, I don't care what anybody says. It's yeah, he is so sadly missed, and there's such a gaping hole in, you know, even if they kept the original, you know, what if situation, Mark, mm-hmm. they keep the original script, but instead of the, uh, what's his name, John Durth, or yeah, the, yeah, who was the who who did so well as yes. the voice of the computer, yeah. the boss, mm-hmm. but he's so bad as the you know the head of the. The, um, the bad Tibetan Buddhist cult <laughs> yeah the, but imagine if that was yeah. the master in disguise it would have just and it's that same plan you know making a deal with an alien race is so a master thing so you could have easily taken out that poor performance by John Durth and put in the master and it would have just elevated the sinister level mm. Mm. and it's a shame with Anthony Ainley you know he was when he was cast as a master is this a carbon copy but more a little bit more ham yes unfortunately you know what I mean where he wasn't able to there's glimpses of it, obviously, in Legopolis and Survival, but in the mid-'80s, he was just sort of saddled with um, more steel Anthony, wasn't he, really? Well, you, yeah. see, you see Anthony in, uh, uh, in Traken, and mm. you see him uh, in Castrovalva. Mm. 
the less we talk about Khalid, uh, <laughs> the better. Um, but he was a wonderful actor, a wonderful actor with a great subtlety and a great, you know, calm presence. Yeah. And for, to have him... Uh, mincing it up. Mincing it up, forcing <laughs> it to friend. mince it up is yeah. such a shame because yeah. you could see what elegance he could have brought to it if he was allowed to do it in his own way mm. as opposed to just doing a carbon ham copy. Suki Kark has uh, posed this question to us. What if uh, it was a brigadier that went undercover in the Green Death and then was coerced to help the baddies in the invasion of the dinosaurs? How cool is that idea? Yes. Imagine. That's the best idea yet. Top marks. Do, are, we, are, are we giving any prizes away? Suki, you can be a guest on the next podcast. <laughs> I have no authority in this podcast. Just imagine that. It's, it's an incredibly powerful moment when the gun is pulled on the Doctor and it's Mike Yates. And it's mm. so beautifully done. There never was a golden age, Mike. Beautiful. Mm. But imagine it's the Brigadier. Oh my gosh. Oh, it would have been incredible. And it would have made more sense for the nervous breakdown than more than undead. (laughs) The ambiguity that Courtney brings to the web of fear as to, you know, is he he on this? I mean, that would come back in that. And you could imagine a whole generation of of young boys who look up to the brigadier being absolutely traumatised and heading straight for the psychiatrist's couch, you know, with their daddy issues just sort of coming to the fire. And imagine that because, you know, with the sad passing of Delgado, the master kind of slipped into a different type of realm. But imagine this Nick coming back for fourth doctor, fifth doctor, you know, seventh doctor with this whole tinge of, is he the man redeeming himself? Yeah like what Mike was doing in uh, Planet of the Spiders, but having that brought in, you know, the wicked that he has done, or is he torn by that? Is he still wicked? Is he exploring it? Could have been, oh, so much potential. The fall of an icon, the fall of a titan like that, you know, thinking that he's doing the right thing, but, you know, the whole facade stripped away and and, and sort of the, the betrayal, you know, exposed... It would have been one of those, you know, one of those magnificent, iconic moments in the series that people would still be, you know, fans would still be talking about today. And mm. Nick would have knocked it out of the park. I mean, for sure. With the, what we can talk about, Richard Franklin, you know, he as an actor, he's a very good writer. God, imagine Nick doing that, and that means we would have lost, thank heavens, belly dancing enthusiast <laughs> brigadier, yeah. and being all long haired and quite fuddy duddy in Planet of the Spiders. Imagine this whole and that scene of him just being led away at the oh. end of that. I mean, tr- and then and then you got the regeneration at the end. Of, oh my gosh! And that know. would have mean Benton would have become the next brigadier, and that means the end of the series. <laughs> <laughs> Although John Levine could have then taken the role of James Bond like he was going to. Here's another scenario that the guys from the Diddly Dumb podcast have put to us. What if John Levine's singing career had taken off and Benton had to have been recast? Fandom saved. (laughs) (laughs) I don't say recast. I say bring back Captain Hart. He was great. Wonderful actor. Really good character. And he was like the surest line, you know. Sure, when he went to find the doctor at the in episode two, and he pulls the sheets away, and he couldn't tell even that close that there were just pillows underneath a blanket. Apart from that, he was a really good, competent soldier and you know right hand man for the brigadier. So I don't say recast Benton; I say bring back Captain Hart. That's me. What about you, Rob? Look, it was the seventies. Music wasn't great unless you were Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones. Uh, so I think I think the music industry in the UK would have warmly embraced John Levine. 
I think the history of music is uh, is sadly poorer for his absence uh, in the charts. Or they could have cast uh, young Ian Marta. Ian Marta would have probably taken the role. Ooh. I see your Ian Marta and raise you Lewis Collins, <laughs> Bodie from the Professionals. Oh, he would have smashed yes. it. Yes. He would have been He would have been great. Mike Yates would have definitely been uh, unsurped. And he would have been more um, uh, uh, Benton from like from the demons he would have been like in the, you know, oh, the jacket it would have been, been hard ass yeah, yeah, yeah shit in the weathercock that type yeah, of thing exactly and, and you know getting flirted with by the white witch that yeah. type of stuff you get yeah. Lewis Collins the petition starts now <laughs> <laughs> although unfortunately Lewis has uh, passed on so it won't be happening if John Levine had moved on into the music career just I'm thinking now of the what if situation extrapolated even further then imagine in like uh, 2020 they would have released the biopic of John Levine, a la Rocket Man or Benton Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> he put a CD out a couple of years ago. Yes. It was called Balanced by Benton. I can't remember. Um, I think he did uh, actually yeah. sing at Day After Anzac Day oh, Convention I when he came out in 2000. And yeah, what did he sing? It wasn't uh, Killing in a Name of, wasn't it? <laughs> 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 all I can remember is that he possibly sang. He did a lot of stand-up material. Is it stuff you pinched your joke? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Running that down. This is good. This yeah. is really good. Colonoscopy. Jinx. In my life, I love you more. In my life, I love you more. I've got another Mark scenario here, guys. So strap yourselves in for this one. So Pertwee leaves at the end of season 10. So John Pertwee's first three seasons of Doctor Who that were sold to the US are a big hit over in America. And he starts to make appearances on US talk shows and the occasional appearance on uh, US shows such as Columbo and MASH when his uh, Doctor Who schedule allows, of course. However, the lure of a Broadway show, regular work in the US, and of course cash, means that he will leave at the end of season 10. John Pertwee's career in the US uh, takes off and it culminates in his appearance as the villain in the uh, 13th James Bond film, Octo Pertwee. <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate uh, Doctor Who's 20th anniversary, the five Doctors is commissioned, however Pertwee declines to to appear as schedule prevents him from appearing he doesn't want to be part of the five doctors as it were yeah. and of course JNT wouldn't pay for a Concord ticket now the resulting backlash from that uh, decision though Pertwee did not like negative sort of publicity and wanted to uh, appease everybody and as a compromise JNT commissions the two doctors which pairs uh, him with the sixth doctor Martin Jarvis <laughs> along with the return of Katie Manning as Joe how's that for a scenario you're high, aren't you, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Jokes aside, I think if those first three seasons of the show had taken off in the US, mm. he's a very charming man uh, on talk show. He would have done all that, all that rounds, you know, and uh, and I think he would have left, definitely left at the end of season ten to pursue his American uh, career. And uh, I think it would have been hard for him to get back in, into the program. Yeah, I've always seen Pertwee as such a iconic British figure mm. um, and so much of the British zeitgeist there's like there's not many people who have there's certain British actors who have moved in quite well into the American market like your like your Alec Guinnesses Alan Rickman especially mm. a lot of the modern British doctors have struggled like David Tennant has become one of the most popular actors in Britain and has never stopped working mm. but he's tried multiple times to crack the US market and hasn't been able to and yes. that's still you know arguably the equal most popular doctor of all time and, one mm. of, and the most popular actor in the UK for a long time so 
I see Pertwee as such one of those actors that exists so much of that repartee and that rapport and that raconteur attitude that's such a British thing that I don't see him actually succeeding in the in America. But he'd be a great he'd be great in Bond. But I don't think he'd want to play the villain because he you know because of course he knew. He knew Fleming. Yeah, and he knew Roger. He knew, yeah, exactly. He knew Roger as well. Like even Tom Baker was obviously more successful in the, in the US than the, the John Pertwee was. Mm. Like, I'm surprised that the US didn't sort of take advantage of uh, Tom... No, it was Davison who had the guest slot in Magnum P.I., didn't it? I think Tom Baker and Magnum P.I. would have worked. <laughs> I imagine that. Um, you know, um, yeah. Well, the American push was definitely uh, uh, John Nathan Turner thing. Mm. So John was... John became that cult figure, you know. Yeah. That's why he's, you know, when they do bring out the legends of television in The Simpsons, and they bring out the Tom Baker <laughs> Doctor Who, only ever shown on PBS. So it was that case of it never got beyond that yeah. cult status. Yeah. yeah, it was stuck in the PBS ghetto. I mean, it, in an industry in the states where there's so many actors and so many potential leading men, uh, it's very hard, even you know, especially back in the '70s and the '80s, for a, a British leading man to break it break into that that market unless they're a, a guest villain or something like that. You know, making use of their uh, their, their their accent to add a bit of spice and variety but yes the idea that Pertwee could have broken into a market or Tom Baker I, I think is a complete pipe dream unfortunately if he did leave and, di- and didn't do the five doctors that means that um, Liz Slayton could have actually kept her original line and said you know teeth and curls mm. which makes a lot more sense coming out of Sarah Jane's mouth as opposed to well, John Pertwee just I, saying it because he liked the line that's right and it would also apply to Bernard Crippens who would have been the fourth doctor imagine Bernard Crippens as the doctor bring in Richard Herndall a bit early <laughs> Pie! We, this was a very popular scenario put through. It was actually put through by three different people JB Adderton, Gen Suki, and also Andy Taylor, not the guitarist from Duran Duran, um, who said that what if uh, they had kept April Walker for Sarah Jane and did not hire Liz Sladen? I mean, April Walker, she was selected as the, the companion, but Barry did make a slight mistake and not actually get uh, John Pertwee's uh, go ahead. <laughs> Of course, um, when he met April Walker, who was decidedly taller than him, I'm not having this, Barry. Yes, and, decidedly uh, taller and a bit more of a forceful, strong personality yes. as opposed to Katie's, I'll do whatever you say, John. April Walker was paid for the entire uh, season 11. They brought Liz Sladen in to replace her, but um, if April Walker had stayed, that would have hastened Pertwee's departure, probably. Have either of you actually seen any of April Walker's Only work? that Faulty Towers episode. Which one? I was going to say that. I've, I've not seen any of her performances, so it's hard to sort of judge her against Liz Sladen for me it was the episode where they're having a wedding party there's a lot about uh, Pertwee that for such a successful actor he was a bit uh, fragile in the ego stakes wasn't he I mean to, to worry about a, oh, yes. uh, an actress being as tall if not taller than him says a lot about Pertwee uh, in a negative light unfortunately yes look he very much liked you know, he, he had created his own world and his own persona. There's a reason why um, his marriage with Jean Marsh didn't last because Jean Marsh would not be the little woman. She's there going, I've got my career. I'm not giving it up. I'm going on. And so hence that marriage didn't last. And um, it's, he's very much a product of the time, but you know, he very much saw women in a particular role and um, it wasn't from anything malicious. It's just, that's what he believed. And so he appreciated Katie more because Katie very much needed to be led around because she was blind as a bat without her glasses. Pertwee enjoyed that. Pertwee enjoyed having that that mentor type role. So with someone taller, more outgoing, stronger in their personality was a clash. And he was threatened mm. by that because as a lot of a lot of men of that time and of that era would have been. And it's 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 a sad indictment of that time. 
but um, it's not surprising. Her career just sort of done lots of variety shows, you know, like well, two runnies and things like that. So but yeah, I don't think she would have stuck around. I think if you, if anything, maybe she would have left at the end of the first, yeah, at the start of season two of of um, of Tom Baker's second season. Maybe Harry would have stayed. Mm. Imagine Harry and Tom just going off on adventures. You just can't imagine anybody else being Sarah Jane Co. Can you really? I mean, no. it's hard. It's really hard. It would. It, it would have been Sarah Jane, just name only. It would have been a completely different character. A yeah. completely different character. And I'm looking at you, Big Finish. Does uh, Liz Sladen work better with the fourth Doctor than the third Doctor? Yes. Yes. I mean, there's a certain warmth between Sladen and Baker that you not necessarily see with uh, her and Pertwee. Would that be correct? The frostiness slowly erodes over the course of that season where. Uh, I think that the rapport with Tom Baker. Yeah, and, and there's definitely, comments. there's definitely. I mean, she's acting as socks off in Planet of the Spiders with her sorrow, but she's very much a case of she's a she's off doing her own thing a lot more. Um, whereas with Tom, she's very much not. Let's do this together, mate. We're chums. I just rewatched uh, Pyramids of Mars, and just the two of them are just so in sync, mm. so in sync. Um, and just their acting styles, they complement each other so well. Whereas John had a very specific way of doing things and Liz had to had to accommodate that. Very yeah. much like what you hear about with um, Annika Wills and uh, Ben, Michael Craze. They were very much being diplomatic and being professional with the, the tail end of Paul William Hartnell's era. But once Pat came in, the three of them, you know, and then with, with Fraser as well, but they blended so well with Pat's approach to the show and his attitude and that's the same you just see that with um, with Liz and with Tom so yeah it would have been that, yeah. that frostiness as well they would have pushed that oh there's a there's a connection there but it wouldn't have been it would be less believable than um, Sarah Jane and Third Doctor with, mm. um, with April you can see Liz Sladen and Tom Baker down at the BBC you know bar uh, sinking beers left, right, and centre that you couldn't see with with Pertwee, unfortunately. And and look, that's not a, a comment on Pertwee as such, but uh, I think that you know there's a I, I think because Baker is 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 a bit younger. I mean, you know, he was still probably ten or fifteen years older than Sladen, but I mean, there's that, that less of an age gap, and perhaps Pertwee was more checking out, uh, you know, in his last oh, season, definitely. and wasn't will, wasn't perhaps willing to just sort of you know, meet her, meet Slayton halfway in terms of the performance. I've heard stories about John being very open, especially within that three-year block when Katie was there, that he was the ruler of the house and he welcomed everybody in. Just social policy at the time that you'd only stick with your own certain groups and if you're a newcomer coming into a certain show like Coronation Street or something like that, you can't sit in that seat. That belongs to this person. Whereas John went, let's just welcome everybody in. But he definitely, with Katie going and then with the others going as well, he definitely worn out his time and he was ready to move on so that type of you know spending socializing he would have probably retreated back from that and so it would have been a lot frostier um uh with someone who he wouldn't really approve of so he he approved of liz so he was a lot more receptive Mm. even though it was still not the same connection Mm. but if 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 april went in and john had no approval it would have been so frosty and you would have been able to see it and in fairness i mean you see the way tom baker apparently treated louise jameson when she you know joined joined the cast by all accounts uh, his behavior was you know not professional uh, mm. in the slightest um so there is a, a, a you do get a sense sometimes that the leading man 
especially yeah. in the 70s and you know the 70s was uh, an era in and of itself with regards to relationships between the genders um where baker you know was lord of the manor and if he didn't like something or like a person they knew about it fairly quickly and even you know later when when he and lala oh. ward were <laughs> yeah were having their relationship which is it seemed to be on and off on and off and then eventually oh. you know <laughs> on or off i'm not quite sure but the way he treated her i yeah we're looking back you know, sometimes people who in the present day are accused of being ahistorical and, you know, refusing to sort of take into account the times gone past with with regards to, you know, topics and, and, and issues. Um, that, that's a reasonable point. But in terms of interacting with people and being, you know, kind to people, that's a, that's a universal constant. You don't have to be an asshole to people who are new on set, who are, who are trying to do a job, who are trying to fit in. You don't have to take your aggro out on these people. And while I admire Tom Baker and I, you know, for what he's done in terms of acting and, and his influence, positive influence on people, the way he treated Louise Jamison and the way he treated Lella Ward at certain points in their relationship is nothing short of disgusting. Um, and there probably should be more calling out of that. I mean, I know, you know, I don't want to speak for Jamison, of course, or or uh, or, or Ward in, in that sense. They obviously came to an accommodation on, on on both counts with dealing with with Tom Baker and and getting a good working relationship and, in actual fact, a good romantic relationship until it wasn't. But you know, Baker wasn't you know the the, the shining lights that he he could and should have been. There's no real reason to treat those people like the way he did. In his first two years when he was with Liz, so they were very much the newbies. They were both newbies, and so they were the new kids on the block. So they, especially with Ian Martyr, they gelled together, and that ego hadn't taken over. And so then, when he gets to his third season, it is the most popular. You know, it had become. A cultural touchstone and that gets to you that that goes that seeps into your persona and so yeah once liz left he he embraced that whole ego and it happened with pertwee as well once he got to the middle of his era where he was the star he was the show um and so yeah his behavior is abominable and you see that with both you know especially with um the difference between Louise and with Lala. Obviously, Lala, they had a romantic relationship and a very short-lived marriage. That's to the point where they don't talk. They can't. They, they even with the big finish recordings, they don't. They, they don't record in the same booth. They do. They don't need to. They, they, they don't need to be in the same space. Whereas not even on the same continent. Apparently, she's in Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah. So whereas with um, Louise Jamison, she is always such an immaculate professional. Um, she came back for all the DVD commentaries for all that type of stuff and she led the charge it wasn't anyone going you know she stepped up and you know you can hear it in the commentaries she's there going is this where we were talking is this where you like me Tom <laughs> and and like calling Tom out in an audio commentary that you can listen to chuck it on and hear it yeah. and she has yeah and she says it she said he treated me very badly and explained it and she goes but We've talked about it. I've led, and she's she's led the charge of getting that apology from him, finding out she's accepted it, and so now you see in behind the sofas on the Blu-rays with Tom, you know, slowly fading away. She's the one now looking after him. It's incredibly powerful. Um, the strength that Louise Jamison has of what she's done to go back to demand that apology to get it to find out why but also she has not given up any of her power um and to the point where she is now looking after him 
in these commentaries in some way. And uh, it's, it's, you know, my respect for her is so huge and it just gets bigger and bigger. So she has never played the victim. She's always played the one of, I am in control of my story and I will get the apology I deserve, get the respect I deserve. And yet no one has told her what she should and shouldn't do, no matter how professional she was being treated unprofessionally by Tom. So, yeah. And he, has, a, and he has apologised. I mean, I've heard yes. many times, you know, in, in, in oh, discussions oh, and, and, and openly, he, mm. he says, I'm appalled by the behaviour mm. and everything like that. And he actually can't, A, believe it and sort of can't remember the way you behave. But uh, he's definitely called him out, himself out, as it were, and said, I was, you know, I was out of out of line. And, it's um, incredibly powerful. You know, and, and she says that we're actually, you know, more best friends now. So. She says that. Yeah, she yeah. says we're good chums now. Yeah. And you see that. And you, you see that affection, which is, which is a powerful thing, a very yeah. powerful story. Mm. People should be talking about that more. Exactly. Now, here's another one. Um, I'm going to read this as is. Uh, this, again, is from the uh, the Diddly Dumb Boys and says, what if Katie hadn't been taken up the Amazon by Cliff Jones <laughs> and had stayed for Pertwee's final series and started with Tom? Oh, wow. Jesus. Pivoting off what we've just said, Tom Baker would have eaten Katie Manning alive. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about it. <laughs> would it be Tom Tom eating her alive or Katie eating him alive? Katie would have been the old hand going, this is my show, and this young, weird upstart coming in, you know, and Katie would have just pounced. It would have been bonkers, I reckon, the two of them together. <laughs> oh. It would have been yeah. nuts. Imagine doing Ark in Space. It would be... Yeah, no. Um, it would have been funny to see, actually, that dynamic because mm. it's so much the case of, um, you know... There's an old girl. There's a dear girl. Get me that. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, always calling her a girl. Always, you know, talking down to her. How am I going to grabbing her by the chin? How am I going to teach you to be a scientist? All that type of stuff. Even her farewell, he's looking down upon her and going, "How was you know he can make you a scientist? I couldn't." Um, to but then to see Katie stay on and then having to be the authority figure for this mm. new, you know, um, erratic. Doctor, mm. that would have been uh, really cool to see. To see Katie being the one go, no, Doctor, this is what you do. No, this is what you do. Because it always didn't ring true to me with Sarah there going, you've got to get back to unit. You've got to go back to unit and do this type of stuff. Sarah wasn't a member of the of unit. She was, you know, no. if anything, unit got in the way of her doing her reporting. Um, but Katie would have been the one there going, you've got responsibilities. Because she, you know... Katie Manning's uh, Joe Grant never never really wanted to travel that much. You always always got kind of like tricked into it with Colony mm. in Space, tricked into it with um, uh, Curse of Peladon. It isn't until um, Carnival of Monsters where she goes, right, now I'll travel with you. And at the end of Planet of the, Sp- Planet of the Daleks, when she gets her first chance, John Pertwee goes, you know, Third Doctor goes, where do you want to go? And she goes, I'm done. I want to go home. So she would have been the one going, let's stay on Earth. Let's do this. Let's find that. We'll go for one trip. So it would have been probably a lot more Earthbound. I reckon she would have left. If she had if she had stayed on, Terror of the Zygons would have been a perfect leaving story mm-hmm. for her. Um, but I can't see her in Genesis of the Daleks, can you? Although, uh, look, she can do dramatic when she needs to. Yes. You know, so... I think it's a bit unfair. I just said that actually, because, especially yeah. with the near the end of a series, you know, in everyone forgets about it because it's in frontier and space. Mm. But she stands up to the master. Yeah. she breaks his mind control. Yes, and from her first episode where he just pretty much just looks at her <laughs> and she's yeah, 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 and exactly. she's taken over yeah. to have her not only break her his mind mm. control but also do it using intelligence. 
yeah. and being able to you know be playful and joke around with ogrons yeah after being scared of them in day of the daleks you came along so far and that type of joke rap yeah would have done really well with just one or two extra seasons actually that, that that's actually really interesting mm-hmm. you know, i think katie manning would have actually i mean career-wise she might have got typecast but yeah. then again having i suppose removing the pertwee handbrake as it were and having her with tom and, and going sort of um having that more uh, what's the word uh, serious performance from Frontier in Space might have might have given it a different uh, angle, and of course, you know Philip Hinchcliffe taking over as well, he would have had, had a slightly different take on the character as well, and it, Holmes as well. It definitely could have been led with a more, you know, bringing the companion as the focus. So Joe, mm. sort of like a an a seventh Doctor, but Joe is the front, and and you know the fourth Doctor is in the background and having to be reeled in and go. We're focusing on this now. Oh yes, yes, yeah. That would have been a, an interesting dynamic to explore. Mm. But Terry the Zygon, she would have definitely gone. They'd all got too much for her. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, that was it. So uh, what what do you think, Rob? I I tend to think that the the, 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 uh, discombobulation that Joe Grant would have felt... Uh, you know, ex- you know, with with the arrival of this new Doctor out of the blue, uh, would have you know it mirrors uh, mirrors what Clara felt when uh, the eleventh Doctor uh, regenerated. You know, the confusion, the uncertainty, the who the hell is this person and why have I lost but the she, person that I really liked? But she's already met two previous Doctors in the three Doctors, so she would have been completely prepared. And so it's the same thing with Clara. Clara she met them all, apparently. Clara met them all. but and when saved them all. But when the cute young one with the big chin goes, oh, and turns into one of the greatest actors of all time, yeah. she can't cope. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think she would have been totally fine with it. She goes, yep, I'm prepared for this, because Sarah wasn't ready she didn't know what was going on katie would have gone all right okay i know this she would have been sad to say goodbye to john because i know this i've seen the two previous doctors i i did you know i am the warist joke for heaven's sake she would have been she would have been the stable force it would have really carried on that whole thing of right i got this i know what's going on i can handle this i'll look after him we'll go on adventures and he'll you know find my place it's a whole other dynamic a whole other dynamic as opposed which would not have fit which would have been anathema to the whole mm. 70s era but a strong female capable lead and the weird bizarro alien guy coming up with this concept and joe making it work whole different approach to the fourth doctor but i think the more i talk about it i want to see that <laughs> no fair points fair points now jed's uh jed sweeney uh uh, I said it begs a couple of questions. I love your TV show, Jed, but I like oh. that they call you the Sweeney. Very, <laughs> I think he's very professional. <laughs> um, oh, Mark! I'm here all night, allegedly. <laughs> would John Pertwee have left when everybody did? Yes. Well, mm. we know that. But who would have taken over, and uh, who would they have cast to replace uh, John Pertwee? Uh, to paraphrase the Master and the Five Doctors, a universe without Tom Baker, it scarcely bears imagining. Now, I mentioned Bernard Cribbins before. New Rob, what do you think? <laughs> who would you have uh, to replace the Great Man as the uh, alternate Four Doctor? Well, well, in this alternate world, mm-hmm. the great man who turned down the role twice would not have turned it down. Ron, Ron Mooney would be mm-hmm. the fourth Doctor. Mm-hmm. And we'll imagine Ron Mooney as the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, pick a pocket or two. Pick a pocket or two. Or two. That would have been quite interesting, actually. Yeah, and yeah. You know, no wig, have the, have the bull Doctor. 
and that's those severe features or yeah. I'd be like he'd be even more Holmesian than mm. um, the elements of uh, the third doctor he could be really that bring on that alien type of but detached emotional state as opposed to the um, the bohemian flight of fancy of Tom Baker so yeah Ron Mooney bring it on such a missed opportunity Ron wait you know I know you can hear me in the afterlife original Rob who is your fourth doctor alternate pick I'm going to go we mentioned the professionals before who's the uh, older fellow who is the professionals handler Gordon Jackson he was in the great escape I would have gone with him. But again, I'm not really au fait with uh, a lot of British actors in that particular period. But uh, he seems to have, you know, the face and the Gordon Jackson and the performance chops to be able to take the role. But uh, he's probably in the same age bracket as uh, as Pertwee. So maybe that, that wouldn't have gone for a like for like. But I would have gone with him. Yeah, so if they're going younger, younger at that time in the 70s. Um, Jacoby. Jacoby would have been Patrick Stewart. I mean, I'm, I'm going for the whole cast of I Claudius here. <laughs> you know, Kurt, oh, give it to Hurt. Well, it would have worked better as a younger than <laughs> the non-canon uh, thing he did before. <laughs> it was the hate is strong in Mark. No, I've got it. I've got it. Yeah. I've got it. Give it to Brian. Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed. Seventies Brian Blessed. He was gorgeous. He was. And... He was actually. That's a great choice because he's fantastic. When he, when, he, when he grew the... I keep saying, when he grew the beard, it was the anti-Samson. He just lost it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, because he's in an episode of The Avengers and he looks gorgeous. He was in Z Cars. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Blessed in the 70s, he would have just brought in this. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's a great choice, yes. And he wouldn't have gone the full Blessed like he no. did from Flash Gordon onwards. Yes. He would have been, you know, when he could actually... In act. Yes. In the, <laughs> in the toga, he turns up. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah, that's a great choice. Brian Blessed, yes. Uh, before the beard. Before the beard. Before um, he became, and I'm doing inverted commas, Brian Blessed. When yes. he was just, you know, yes. Bri the actor. Yes, that's a good choice. I like that one. That's why you bring me in. And plus the checkered clip. Right, so uh, so we finished the main scenarios, and now in alternate universe, we're putting together, we are the JNTs, as it were, we're putting together the Pertwee Years tapes, and we're going to be choosing some episodes that uh, are going to be different from the one that was released in the early 90s. We Have are it? here at BBC Studios, where they film 42 to Doomsday. Very oh, yes, funny. quite fun. Very, very funny. Very funny. And of course, though, when we first met on set, Mark and I didn't get on well at all. But then no. we started doing conventions. And then one time I brought on a water pistol. And then, of course, the next day, Mark brought on an even bigger water pistol. And then the following day, I brought on Rob, who had water <laughs> in his mouth and sprayed it in his face. Well, you can imagine we ended up in the pool and Roderick senseless. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Roger was there. <laughs> So for this alternate Pertwee Years episodes, David Kitchen has uh, put this together. He has said uh, one episode with each companion. So Inferno Part 6, cast and dual roles. Uh, tense, amazing cliffhanger, yes. Uh, Terror of the Autons Part 3, which has got the unit, the master, and also has the many iconic images. And Death to the Daleks Part 4, it's got fun and adventure, and of course, Daleks. And Tiles. The Tiles of Death. By Frank Walker. <laughs> National Tiles. And Andy Taylor uh, says for his Perwe Years tape, Green Death Part 6, because Excellent obviously he has great, the great man's obvious affection for uh, Katie Manning. Mm -hmm. uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs Part 1, uh, just because of the great first episode. It didn't matter it being in black and white or not. Mm -hmm. Planet of the Spiders Part 6 was reactions to leaving the show. 
but he wasn't too sure if it was uh, released by then. It might have been on the cusp, but look, the BBC were all for making uh, lots of money releasing the same stuff 15 times. I don't think it would have mattered. Well, I think when, yeah, when the when the Pertwee years came out, had Frontier been released? No. No. I think that was mid-90s. Yeah. So I think none of them had been released yet, but the, the formats of them on the tape were pretty dire. Yes, because they had the, the fifth episode of The Demons, and I hadn't seen that yet. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, uh, gentlemen, we're going to go around the table and uh, we're going to now provide our alternate Pertwee Years episode. So uh, we'll give it to the guest first. So, uh, new Rob, what are your choices? Um, I am going to go with first, because we can't go with Inferno because an episode of Inferno is in the original one. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with my other Don Horton episode because I love Don Horton. He's one of my favourite writers on Who. I only did two. So I'm going to go with Mind of Evil. And I'm going to go with episode five. Because you get the attack on the prison, the amazing choreography of the fight scenes and stuff like that, and, and Benton being quite uh, capable. You've got um, incredible cliffhanger where Katie tries to save the doctor and distract uh, Mailer, and he points the gun at Pertwee and it ends with the gun going off. Yes. I think that's a great episode to show. Yes. Um, uh, then my next one, I'm going uh, um, to season three. Uh, so it's uh, all minor with, with Katie episodes. Uh, I'm going for episode three of uh, Curse of Peladon. Mm. Episode three is a good one because it's got the fight scene. Yes. And it's, um, and it's also got um, that great cliffhanger as well of where the gunshot's coming from. Yeah. Um, who's, who's killing who. And you've got the scream of Alpha Centuri and has the other Ice Warriors evil or not. And um, after that, you then find out that, yeah, the Ice Warriors, spoilers, are actually noble and great. And it's the best version of the Ice Warriors ever done in uh, Curse um, of Peladon. And finally, episode one of Carnival of Monsters, uh, written by Robert Holmes. And it is one of the best opening episodes of any Doctor Who story and one of the best cliffhangers ever. Um, I'm going for a lot of cliffhanger endings because they're really good. But just that, when I first saw uh, Carnival of Monsters, that final shot of the hand coming in and picking up the very small TARDIS, still, I still get goosebumps from the first time I saw it. It's the exact same. I will still watch it now, and that's over you know twenty years ago. So yeah, those are my three. All Katie heavy, uh, all Joe heavy, but yeah, they're, they're mine. Mm, very good. Original Rob. Yes. So uh, the Time Warrior episode one is the very first episode that I can remember watching as a wee lad and for many years I thought that I'd seen it on first transmission because it was a colour episode and Australia got uh, colour TV in, the, in 1975 but thanks to the broadcast, the excellent broadcast uh, website I was able to track down uh, a year or two back that in actual fact the episode that I know that I saw occurred or was screened on my father's birthday and the reason for that is the unmasking of links so terrified me in the episode one cliffhanger that I ran out of the living room where I was watching it and jumped into my father's arms. And he was sitting outside <laughs> talking to his brother and his father, my grandfather. And in looking up um, the uh, the episode, uh, the broadcast history of the Time Warrior in Australia, it was there, it just, it just struck me that the broadcast date was my dad's birthday back in 1977. Wow. For that dual thing now, 
because uh, remember, Mark, at the very beginning of, of the podcast, I used to say, oh, I saw it in 1975. But in actual fact, yes. it was, it was uh, in early June in 1977. So... Um, the episode itself, the cliffhanger, is one of those classic cliffhangers. It's just, it's just fantastically, uh, fantastically done, and it's a real shock. It's a corker of an episode as well, with the introduction of Sarah Jane, and mm. she's like really investigating, and she's suspicious of the Doctor, and it introduces Rubish, and you know, it's got some great opening lines. Like, it's got a uh, straight line, maybe the shortest distance between two points, but there's no means it's the most interesting. It's got put all our eggs in one basket. Well, that's fine. Zoom. So long as nobody tries to steal the basket, there's just incredible lines <laughs> all the way through. It's a great first episode. Yeah, it is. And even with my granite-shaped or hardened heart, uh, it's nice to know that uh, it was Dad's birthday that day, and uh, he uh, he comforted me. So it was nice. I'm getting a lump in my throat now. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh. It, it's interesting that you were 21 at the time. Yes. Um, <laughs> so the fact that he was able to catch you, a fully grown man. That's uh, well done, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> the protein shakes obviously have worked. <laughs> the next episode uh, is the Three Doctors episode one. Mm. I again, as I said earlier in the uh, in the podcast, um, the uh, the novelization is the thing that, that that really captured my imagination. That front cover uh, and and just you know just drowning, imbibing it. Uh, the fact that there are you know there are earlier Doctors and and and, and the Three Doctors episode one again sort of introduces. Uh, you know, or reintroduces the the, the, the the second Doctor and 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 the first Doctor, and it's a real uh, wow moment to know that the series has this real this past history. I mean, I you know, I would have seen it during the incessant repeats during the seventies, and to under, to know that there were previous Doctors uh, really was a was a sort of sit up and 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 uh, and, and t- pay attention moment. So. That's that gets my um, tick of approval. There's some great stuff in there, like the the flashback shots where you see William Hartnell at that mysterious rose bush. Mm. Whatever was that rose bush, and the great shot of Troughton just running through this desolate uh, wasteland, a quarry, with the smoke and stuff all around him, and he just runs out, and then he grabs his chin and wonders something. I'm going, wonder what adventure that was. Big mm. finish have probably done it, um, <laughs> but yeah, especially at that time, especially in the '80s. There was that policy where BBC didn't show any other previous Doctors at the same time as the yeah. other Doctor was on, um, which is horrible. So you only had those big moments where they'd do an event where they'd show a couple of previous stories. So to actually have both previous Doctors on would have been a huge deal. Exactly. You know that scene in the uh, quarry? Mm. For years in the early 80s, they thought that was from the Macro Terror. Oh, really? Was it specially shot, shot Mark? Yeah, it was yes. specially shot, yeah, but yeah, the perceived yeah. fan wisdom back then was, oh, no, it was uh, existing for the, the mm. Macro Terror. No, yeah, just shot. because it had a, a quarry on it. And it was right? black and white. It was like <laughs> originally shot in colour. But those, yeah, those sequences were, were filmed especially uh, for the production. And your last one, Rob... My third selection for this putative uh, Pertwee Years tape is uh, episode one of The Demons. Ah. I think the setup there, I think the live broadcast from BBC Three. I love my, my, my horror. And whilst The Demons, you know, reaches to be sort of horrifying or reaches for that Hammer sort of esque uh, feel, uh, I, I, I think episode one is a really great setup. I think the story itself is fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it on the Blu-ray uh, with all the restoration they've done to bring it up to uh, as close to transmission quality as possible. The Blu-ray is going to be so exciting. It's um, pretty impressive what mm-hmm. they've done. Yeah. 
Uh, shout out to the Missing Episodes podcast and their recent uh, restoration special on the demons for anyone who's out there. Uh, yes. It's very good listening for some of the people who are involved in the restoration. Yeah, but the, the demons episode one, it's a great setup. It's a country village in rural uh, Britain. Uh, it's got the doctor. It's got a. Uh, it's got an archaeological dig. There's strange shenanigans going on. There's a witch somewhere in the background. She's great. She's got a great introduction. And you know that the cast were getting blind every opportunity that they could get whilst they're on location. The TV film crew again. The great the host is so smarmy and hilarious the 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 technical guy who's there lots of lovely ash quiet it's great so funny it's very good actually yes some good choices there uh original rob yes and what about you mark okay so what with my selection i try to capture sort of key moments or key sort of themes from the pertwee era that people the general riffraff of the public would have expected to uh see on a well-produced uh video recording from the BBC. Uh, first episode I went for was Ambassadors of Death Part 1. Wonderful. Uh, mainly because it's in colour. But also, <laughs> it's very gritty. Unified scenes are fantastic. I think it sets the episode up really well. Uh, and it's all about getting these people hooked in because eventually they are going to come out and they're going to say, oh, I'd love to see that Ambassadors of Death Part 2. But of course, they have to wait for many years. To and let's not forget, they've got the the stinger at the start. Oh, and the sting, the stinger, yeah. exactly right. Well, they, they took off from Mars something took off from Mars. That's right. Meow. And they should have put the trailer on that as well. Yeah. Yes, uh, Ambassadors of Death Part 1, uh, followed up by the Sea Devils Part 3, because let's be honest, uh, every, it's got the Master in there, mm. and everybody remembers the uh, Sea Devils rising from the ocean. Oh. Look, yes, a little bit wonkily, however, it's still very iconic, but also the Third Doctor deactivating the uh, the, the landmines oh, there. So, so good. It's pretty good, actually. Um, so that's my, uh, my favourite episode from that uh, entire story. And then you have to follow it up by uh, with a Dalek episode um, I was either going to go for an episode from Day of the Daleks but then I realised that it was out already on VHS so that would have been a no-no um, but I went for episode 6 of Planet of the Daleks because it's got the Daleks with the ice caves in there it's a very good uh, final episode of Adventure and of course it has a tender scene where you think Joe is going to leave and go back to Skara and become Mrs. Davros eventually but it didn't happen and we do have Pertwee's moment of charm of going don't let war be a game. Exactly. Remember the ones left behind. Remember yeah. farmer. As opposed to, you know, going, war, war, death, <laughs> What is it death. good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So yes, that, that's, uh, there are my three uh, selections for my Pertwee Years tape. So here's a bit of uh, homework for everybody. Put all the episodes together you've heard and uh, let us know what you think. Yes. yes and well, do your own introductions as well. <laughs> if you need any voices, we're here. <laughs> we're here for her. You know, especially the introduction of this podcast, anyway. So, um... <laughs> well, yes. Tim Trelaw, move out of the sun. I'm coming for the job. <laughs> that's all the scenarios all gone through. Thank you, everybody, for sending those uh, through. Before we toddle off to uh, another alternate world, which unfortunately is this one, Ring in Rob, I should say. <laughs> Uh, what's what's going on with you at the moment? You've, you're getting something, is that right? I am. My birthday's coming up and I've uh, asked for, because that's what we do in our family, we just ask for what we want for our birthdays, and I'm getting the uh, the new edition, the updated version of Andrew Cartmel's uh, oh. Script Doctor, which is uh, about his time as script editor. I've read 
the original one. That was oh. given to me by the wonderful Dave Hoskin, a friend of the podcast. Um, uh, and so it's with uh, new introductions and new uh, photos and new mat- new content. Um, and you want to know about uh, how it is to be in classic Doctor Who, and especially at a really exciting time when nobody was paying attention to who and so the geeks inherited the earth that is doctor who so cartmel came in and he brought in his little you know legion of nerds he brought in mark platt he brought in ben aronovich he brought in you know um rona monroe i'm so looking forward to reading it the original was really an incredible read about his transition from his first season and him getting more control uh and if you've actually watched uh the writer's room from season 20 uh six yeah. uh, blu-ray when you've got ben ian andrew rona and mark just sitting around eating and talking about their episodes i can watch that i could watch that every day it's so magnificent to see these people who really genuinely respect each other actually talking and it's it's as if the camera's not there there's an earlier one for uh, for baker's final one and it's a little bit cringy but this one is great and so i'm looking forward to getting that and go check it out but i think you can find the link somewhere on one of the Who website pages. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Mm, very good. Um, and Rob is showing me all the Rivers of London book that uh, books that uh, Ben Aronovich has put together, and uh, you're a big fan of those, aren't you? Yes. Um, look, if you haven't read them, read them. Ben Aronovich is just the best. His how he holds himself, how he looks after his. Uh, the people who gave him breaks, and how he has ingrained himself into the world. He's now people know Ben Aronovich as the writers of the Rivers of London, which is a series for those of you that don't know, which is which mashes together police procedural with urban fantasy. So it's wizard cops and it's done in a brilliant way. His knowledge of London, his knowledge of police procedurals and the fact that in every single edition uh, that he releases, whether it be a spin-off or anything like that, there is a Doctor Who reference, no matter how obscure. He puts Doctor Who in there that you can just read it and go, ah, it's for nobody else other than Doctor Who fans. Mm. Um, they're great, really good books. There's about nine books released. He's got a couple of spin-off novellas. They've got about three or four of those. And plus there's a comic book spin-off series. And because he's got the biggest heart as a nerd, He's brought in Andrew Cartmel, or gave him his big break on Doctor Who. Uh, he's got he's co-writing that with Cartmel. I read a River, the Rivers of London when it first came out. I was you know obviously the connection with Doctor Who, uh, Aronovich uh, attracted me to it. And I'd, I'm not a I read fantasy. I'm not a big reader of urban fantasy. I, I did enjoy it, but I can't say that I loved it, which would explain why I've not bought. The subsequent books yeah but having said that i acknowledge that aranovich is an accomplished writer and if you're able to you know write a series of books that is now into its ninth book uh that is a bestseller uh that is you know well regarded then clearly you're doing something right um i'll just ask because i wasn't i i thought that the first book probably needed another draft or two i mean that that's my opinion. Obviously, has would you? I mean, as you would expect, Rob, as the series has developed, has his writing improved uh, along the way? He's certainly played with the narrative structure, which I really like. He kind of does these flashbacks that go into mini scenes that justify something and come back. And as you're reading, you get frustrated, going, "Oh God, I hope they explain that." And then he does bring it in, so you can see he's really got this arc, and they're connected. So the books are self-contained and really good but there's a whole world around it and he knows how to structure Mm. how to bring the logic of magic because that's what you do you can't just use the excuse of oh well we'll just use magic 
he connects it from a scientific basis because the lead character wants to find this justification of magic within the scientific principles of the world that we have. So yeah, his, his narrative structure is great and how he blends in descriptions of the city and the history of architecture within London to the narrative structure. He, he gets stronger and more confident with that. So yeah, definitely you can see the first one um, probably need another draft or two, but he, he builds confidence obviously with nine and he mixes the structure up later on. So yeah, it's um, definitely worth something if you've got free time to revisit and, um, and, and see what, what else he brings to that to that world? Mm. I certainly will. Then, on your recommendation, certainly seek out at least the second book just to uh, see how it's going. Definitely. Moon over Soho is the second one, so it goes into the jazz scene of London, which is a really fascinating story. Oh, nice! I started by watching uh, the season eight box set um, oh. and the the Terence Dix uh, documentary that was put together was um, was wonderful. Hosted by Frank Skinner? It was, it was really well done actually. And um, yeah, it was a lovely tribute to the great man. So I've also ordered the Essential Terrence Dix collection. So I know I've already got them, but I'm looking forward to getting them in nice two uh, hardback volumes. And I'll, I'll look forward to reading those in the uh, in the cold winter months with a <laughs> glass of red in my hand and the open fire. That's on. over a thousand pages, pages per volume, Mark. That's a lot of Terrence Dix is what I'm saying. I'm looking forward to getting those actually, but I did uh, dip in and out of the Terror of the Order on special features and uh, the behind the sofa has got uh, the guy who plays the uh, master yes. this week. Um, and he's been watching Terror of the Ordons. Uh, he made the line, he goes, oh, I never watched any of Roger's performances. And I thought to myself, I really wish you did, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all did. I yeah. think we all did. But, he's uh, a wonderful actor, Sasha Dawn. But, um, yeah. He just plays it like Jack Nicholson. Yeah, he, he plays it like Ledger's Joker. But, yeah, yeah he's done, he's, his work in Adventures in Space of Time, as Warris is saying, is uh, incredible. He's yeah. a wonderful actor. And he does some great stuff in. He's one of the only good things about Iron Fist. <laughs> oh, I couldn't watch the second series of that I yeah, just saw I haven't well, watched the second season no well. it's awful but um, yeah anyway but uh, yeah so look when the box set does get to these shores uh, make sure you pre-order a copy unless you be selling a kidney if you don't <laughs> and on that point Mark uh, the news that came through to the, uh, this week was most welcome that uh, they will be re-releasing the Blu-rays in more regular yes. uh, packaging and more more affordable I suppose and more available my favourite thing is um, those uh, Who fans who can't read the room and aren't aware of the fact that every other Who fan <laughs> has the internet as well. Mm. So when they announced that all the classic series will finally be released on Blu-ray, that same day some certain fans go onto the Doctor Who Facebook groups and go, oh, I've just decided to sell all my Doctor Who DVDs. <laughs> um, would anybody like to pick them up? And everyone's just gone... Dude, and there's another guy. So on the same day that they released the news that we're re-releasing the 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 Blu-rays that haven't been released for however long, and the guy caught on and said, "Oh, I've got these <laughs> Blu-rays, and I'm selling for two fifty, three fifty. Yeah. Haven't been opened. I'm going, dude. Yeah, you are stuck with yeah, them. What, yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 yeah, exactly. For those people who bought multiple sets, um, <laughs> your your shares are rapidly devaluing very quickly. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a good thing that some um, people who missed out, and uh, it's unfortunate people went and bought multiple copies and refused to. Uh, so. uh, look, I can understand there's a bit of enterprising in it, but in the day, I do feel sorry for people who weren't able to get them like well, yourself Rob you know, without selling a body part or selling your children off I mean I don't have a copy of the season of season 12 on Blu-ray uh, mainly because it's my fault that I wasn't that I didn't jump onto it but 
And I look, I've defended people who've bought, bought multiple copies. We live in a capitalist dictatorship, so let them uh, make hay while the sun shines. But yeah, it's great that the BBC have woken up to themselves. I mean, why would you limit them? Limit the numbers? It's just crazy crazy there's money on the table make money please do it they're selling out when they release them so not so badly here i haven't had to pre-order okay. any of them i yeah. like go down the day it's released and yeah. pick it up yeah. because well or the day before because the pre-orders you get the day of right. but if you go down the day before they go oh we've got some on the shelf but they're not there for very long like but in the uk they they're yeah, sold out look, they're, they're pretty sold on. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. obviously there's more people there. Yeah, and there's more scalpers. So yes, yes. It's, uh, yeah, good news for you, Rob, and good news for other fans who unfortunately missed out. So, however, if you do want to buy my DVD copies of season eight, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> you only charge what thirty, forty dollars? Yeah, two hundred fifty bucks is it? It's only been watched three or four dozen times. Yes, yes. Uh, please contact me. It's a uh, <laughs> Need to sell a kidney. Okay, again. Been reading anything or watching anything of relevance, Rob? Yes. I, uh, in the post, in the post, (laughs) as if I didn't actually know what was going on, I have received in the post Rob Shearman's novelisation of Dalek. Oh! Yes, I've just begun uh, reading it, and uh, he's definitely taking advantage of the, uh, the format in terms of uh, widening and deepening uh, our understanding of the story uh, so it does open up from the uh, there's no surprise here, it does open up from the Daleks perspective uh, I'm really looking forward to reading it because Shearman uh, not only is an accomplished uh, scriptwriter, but uh, I think he's uh, also an accomplished uh, writer of fiction uh, short stories especially so yeah I've got the I've got it here I, I thought I'd dip my toe in the water and see what these novelizations uh, are felt like obviously they're not going to recapture um, the, the 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 atmosphere from the you know the the, the 70s and the 80s when I was sort of di- deep diving into them but it's great to, that they uh, they're making them available so uh, if this works out I, I think my next purchase will be the Crimson Horror by Mark Gatiss uh, if this one works out I'm very excited by that because they're taking a script for a 45 minute episode minute of television and turning it into to novels so stuff like um yeah crimson horror is going to be fascinating to read i dalek i cannot wait to get my hands on um and even like the witch finders which i i i quite like as a as a jody whittaker episode uh, it's written by the author um uh joy wilkinson so i'll be very much looking forward to reading those and how they expand it out because I haven't read it, but Innes has read um, Rose, and he said that's great. There's a whole backstory about like Mickey's in a band and and the car- and the, Mickey's friends, which we don't see. And so, yes, I'm fascinated by how they're going to expand that out. I only ordered the for, for the, uh, you, the classic order, ones. Did you um, order the um, the telly movie done by Gary Russell? I did. And is that just the redo that he did? years ago no apparently he's put some new content in it from an earlier draft or something like that he's tidied up some things there was at least one error because he was only working off the script uh, at the time and and maybe a a photo or at least well only one photo I think so I believe in a podcast interview he gave uh, a couple of weeks ago he, he mixed up the names of two characters so he's fixed that up a bit of you know detail here and there but yeah yeah, it'd be good to be good to pick it up. I think uh, if you're interested, I'll just read the others on Kindle and when well, I get a spare bit of time. But, but actually, I think Sherman's Dalek would be uh, quite interesting because I mean I did read Rose and I did read Day of the Doctor and were they the ones I read? Yeah, I didn't read the Christmas Invasion. That sort of put me off. Um, I've also been going back because uh, on Spotify they have all the original like first season or first season's release of uh, Big Finish. So when it was good, so I've been. <laughs> 
Oh, jeez. The hammer comes down. So I've been listening to, like, I listened to Holy Terror for the first oh, time. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I've listened to uh, one that I really like, um, Invaders from Mars, with um, uh, written by Gatiss. Yes, um, and I've been listening to, in order, all the uh, Evelyn Smythe stories. Oh, good, and yes. And they're wonderful. Just uh, Maggie Staples was a treasure, and um, her work with, with Colin was just wonderful. How far do the Spotify releases of Big Finish go to? Do you know? It is goes. It's not um, the first Tom Baker series. I'm no, no, it's it's quite short. There's like because okay. it doesn't even have the um, the second Frobisher story, the oh, Maltese okay. Penguin. Yeah. So it, it ends. You know, it has like that first chunk of um, uh, the Charlie Pollard series with the Eighth Doctor. So it has none of the Sheridan Smith stuff. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's quite like very early on. That could be actually an interesting so business model for Big Finish is do a yeah, subscription to their service as it were for having a streaming service and just stream all their content they've got you know like they've got shit loads they have there. got enough to last five quid a month there you go Big Finish you can listen to the 18 episodes of um, the Weirin early years <laughs> Or the Peter Lim Chronicles. And let's not forget that the spin off series, Jago. And Peter Lim. <laughs> so thanks, Rob, for joining us yet again. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this uh, appearance more than the last time you were on. Even though your thoughts uh, and views were particularly well received. I just knew on the other end of the phone your heart was dying. So it's actually been nice to sort of uh, have this apology session to make up for it. So thanks, mate, for coming back on. It was great to invite me into your nerd palace again. It's been uh, lovely. It's a pleasure to have you here. And um, pimp your wares before we go, please, sir. Please come along and see Innes Lloyd uh, in Mina Harker Monster Doctor for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. We opened the 5th of April, Monday the 5th of April at 8.30. Only seven shows and we run until the 11th of April. All information is on the Comedy Festival website or you can buy your tickets from the Butterfly Club website. Get in fast. Tickets are selling fast. We would love to see you there. If you love horror, if you love comedy, if you love the Universal Monsters, come along and say, see me play Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, The Invisible Man, The Wolfman, um, The Mummy, and Frankenstein all in one show. Must be very tiring for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know that whole year of yes. not doing anything? I'm making up for that by working out <laughs> in doing this show. Those characters you'd rattle off and sound exactly like the characters me and Rob are on our podcast. <laughs> wow, okay, so good. And you've also got the, the highlights. There's the Dubbo Fringe Festival. That's right. Yes, it, it is the 10th anniversary of my little uh, who showed who me it's the 10th anniversary and i'm taking it to dubbo for the dubbo fringe festival the inaugural fringe festival in early may uh, more information on uh, newcastle fringe website uh, or on facebook type in um, uh, dubbo fringe festival and find out more information there and if anybody goes to rob's gig there and he says the colonoscopy joke let me know because I'll be getting I'll be demanding royalties uh, if, if anyone's pirate filming the show oh, um, yeah. I know you've sent a spot if you like the ultimate adventure but we <laughs> 
Original Rob, you got any shows coming out, mate? All good for the moment. Only this one here, the latest episode of Australia's longest-running uh, Doctor Who podcast, 42 to Doomsday. That's the only one. And, of course, only fans you can find me. That's a... <laughs> no, no, no. Only fans website for Mark. <laughs> you can get all these impressions of Peter Lynn. <laughs> Peter Lynn. Well, thanks very much, mate. Rob, always been a pleasure, Original Rob. And um, and also a gentle reminder that Aaron's Collectibles uh, yes. has still got the, the offer. Uh, for the old coming in saying, I listen to 42 to Doomsday. He's managed to shift a couple, uh, but they did bring them back the next day. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, School holidays are coming up. I'm going to be heading in and hopefully I'll get the copies of Doctor Who magazine that I'm actually in. Exactly. So remember, I always remember to say, I listen to 42 to Doomsday. So thanks everybody. Um, we'll see you next month. We'll be having a conversation, actually speaking of Aaron. We'll hear you on the podcast talking about what's been going on in Collect the Land since the last time. Um, so I'm looking forward to um, him upsetting more people with his realistic views on new series merchandising. So I look forward to that one. To uh, finish off, I've been Mark. I've been Rob. And I've also been Rob. Keep pitching! You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.